You're listening to C103's Cork Today podcast. Phone and text lines are currently closed. As we welcome you along to uh, the programme, of course, you can always email the programme uh, corktoday at c103.ie. But let's start with this war of words that Barry has been reporting on all morning. And it's a war of words over who said what and when. And it's broken out between the organisers of last weekend's Ironman in Yall and triathlon's governing body. Anne Mooney Southern, correspondent with the Irish Sun, uh, joins me with the latest on uh, this story. Good morning to you, Anne. Good morning, Patricia. Now, this is just a further twist in what ultimately is a very, very tragic story. What, what is the latest on this story? So, um, yesterday evening, around six o'clock, you know, when we all had finished work, um, we got um, press releases in from Ironman and from Cork County Council. Um, as you know, uh, Triathlon Ireland had um, issued a statement previously uh, saying that they were um, that they had not sanctioned um, the the uh, the swim event, <clears throat> but uh, then then Ironman came back at them and uh, said that uh, they were only told hours after the event that um, that that this was that this was what um, uh, Triathlon Ireland was doing. So, um, so there seems there is a war of wars between the two bodies, and then um, Cork County Council issued a statement saying that uh, the responsibility of the Ironman uh, was the responsibility of uh, the organisation um, Ironman itself, which was uh, the organising body. So um, it's, it's it seems as if one is throwing the blame on the other and. Uh, you know, I, I assume if there's an inquiry that um, there would be some sort of um, clar- clarity um, brought to uh, all of this. But at the moment, um, certainly it's it's, uh, it's tit for tat, I think. Yeah, yeah. And I think it's interesting that the Cork County Council statement, uh, because, you know, initially on after the event, you know, they came out and said that they are one of the uh, host sponsors and will be again for next year. Now they seem to be slightly yes, distancing themselves. To be back on that, yeah. Yeah. Because um, they did say that, um, they, that they don't have responsibility for the management of, of the event um, and that any decisions related to it was, was a matter for them. Uh, but that they would be determining its future position as host sponsor once uh, once they have uh, all of the um, the facts in place and and will consider it then. Yeah. Um. But like we had been waiting um for since last Sunday, uh, Monday for Cork County Council to come to to speak to the media or to issue a statement, and it was only last night that they issued it. Um, which is um kind of seemed as if they were avoiding the issue. Yeah, yeah, and, and and I suppose, and then of course for this war of words to break out now, because I, I'm assuming um, that there will be insurance implications for Ironman uh, if the national governing body doesn't sanction an event. Uh, yes, yes, but but the question here is, uh, did they sanction? Did they inform Ironman um, uh, at the site on the day uh, before the event took place? Or as Ironman says, um, their officials were only communicated uh, after several hours after the swim was completed, 
um, that the that the event would not be sang- was not being sanctioned or would not they wouldn't yeah. approve the sanctioning of the of the event. Okay, so, so there um, certainly yeah. is is more to go on this. And then you've you've a piece in uh, today's uh, paper, um, and that really I have to say uh, shows the chaotic nature of the oh, swim, it, and, and even by very experienced swimmers. Yes, and and you know, um, as I was writing that, Tricia, I I kind of thought to myself, is there not a level of personal responsibility here, where you where you see the pro swimmers uh, heading out and getting into huge difficulties, and then you decide to go out yourself? And actually, um, the 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 people who spoke about it um, actually, uh, you know, did say that uh, they regretted doing it. Um, and I suppose hindsight is wonderful, but it was it was the level of chaos, the level of confusion, and the level of even I suppose um, uh, battling the waves. Um, but not only battling the waves, but actually battling other competitors who appeared to be extremely aggressive, um, and um, the confusion because they. Seemingly, the, the, the organisers changed the route as the swimmers were swimming out to the Orange Boy. And that led to people trying to go on to the new route. And they were swimming on top of each other. And this, according to um, some of the people who were who were involved, uh, the, the stronger swimmers were pushing the weaker ones out of the way. And it was described as aggressive, chaotic and terrifying. Um you know, I think as well as that, uh, it was actually horrifying to hear or to to see that um, one of the one of the competitors described how, as they came up out of the water, that there was a body lying on the pier, dead, yeah. and this really continued on. You know, yeah, I, 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 and, and I know you write in the paper uh, one of the female competitors saying, "I got elbowed, I got kicked in the chest, and there's nothing you can do if you don't keep moving. You're putting yourself yes. at risk." I mean, that yes. just yes. sounds like everybody's woman, worst um, nightmare. Yeah, there was one woman, um, Winnie Moore, who was uh, doing her fifth Ironman event, and uh, she realised how bad things were, and she was pulled out of the water by one of the safety boats after swimming only about 200 metres. Um, but on the way back to the shore, she helped to pull in four men into the safety boat. Um, so she decided on the after the third wave and after being knocked down by the third wave uh, to try and swim under it, but then she started to panic. And when she looked around, uh, she saw other distressed people, um, you know, uh, calling for help from the kayakers because there were kayakers out who were part of the, the safety boat team um, calling the kayakers for help. You know, And the kayakers would have been struggling as well in the in those oh, ways. Yes, yes, and they were saying that, that the kayakers were having problems because they were being pushed all over the, you know, the, the waves. Well, were you know, them. I mean, and, and I see we, all of us, I think, have seen some of the video footage. I mean, you're, you're talking about waves. You know, one competitor said between 10 and 12 metres high. I mean, even the most experienced of swimmers, nobody, nobody prepares for that because you can't train. You don't train in that kind of water. No, no. And, and the, uh, you know, I don't know whether I said it to you when I was talking to you yesterday, but um, one fisherman that I was talking to said that they wouldn't even put a boat to sea uh, in those conditions. So 
why would you put human beings out in them? Yeah. You know? And Dan in Rathmore, and I think this is something you um, referenced as well, says, um, Hi Patricia, and surely the adults who took part in the triathlon have responsibility themselves to keep themselves safe and make their own decisions whether to participate or not. Nobody forced them to get into the uh, water. And from what you're saying, Anne, some got into the water but then got out. Yes, and, yeah. and but they were they were in the minority. And, uh, you know, Patricia, this, this, um, this event is high endurance. These are athletes that train for two years to actually participate in an event like this. Um, they're, they're kind of, I suppose, they're kind of the elite athletes, mm. athletes um, because they, they, they go through so much. But in, I checked on details about this, um, about this competition and, since 1986, there have been 171 deaths, 122 of them during the swim, which uh, the swims which are considered to be the most um, dangerous of all the events. And um, there was a similar tragedy actually in June 2019 um, when two American men died, one of them aged 61 and the other one in his 30s. Uh, during the swim leg of the Ironman as an event in Madison, Wisconsin. They were both pulled from the lake. Um, mm. And I thought, you know, there's a parallel there. Yeah, yeah, the yeah. And the, and, and the two men, uh, the, the, the funerals have started? Yes, and, and I think today we should actually think of the families and, um, you know, the, the, the actual, the, the complete and absolute sadness and grief that those families are going through. Um, yes, Brendan Wall's funeral is today in his native meet. Um, I think at one o'clock funeral mass and he would be buried um, in Slane where he's from originally. Um, he, you know, his, he was in England, living in England for many years and only got engaged this year to his Oh my God. And yeah, and um, they, you know, the, they've, she's, I assume, over for the funeral as well. But like he has mother and father, his brothers and sisters, he has aunts and uncles, he has nieces and nephews. Um, and all of them have that awful job today of um, burying him. Um, and then Ivan and then from Ivan, Canada was cremated yes, yesterday. He was, yes. Ah. His, wife, his wife, Sandy, came over um, from Toronto with some members of her family. And uh, they uh, they had, I believe, a very poignant ceremony in uh, the um, crematorium in Ringeskiddy. So obviously, she will be bringing his his, his um, remains back to um, <sighs> Canada to repatriate so there. So so sad. Yes. Okay, and listen, thank you for that, and uh, thanks for joining us this morning. You're welcome. Good morning to you. That is um, Anne uh, Mooney, Southern correspondent with the Irish uh, Sun. And can I also give a mention to the members of, they're a group called the Salty Souls. They're a a sea swimming group actually based out of uh, Yall. And they're one of these groups. They swim 365 days uh, a year and they dedicated their gathering yesterday on the Strand to Ivan and Brendan, the two gentlemen who lost their lives in the Ironman uh, event. And I was sent on photographs um, of them all in in the sea and it just, it looked like such a lovely, uh, respectful and poignant uh, photograph. And I know Orla Reardon, one of the group members, said members of the group 
share a love of the therapeutic value of the sea and it is an important part of our daily lives. It is a very poignant moment and a show of love and sadness at their loss and we're thinking of the two men and uh, their families as indeed uh, we all uh, are. On the Ironman event Ryan says I think I will remain in the couch potato competition particularly after hearing Anne uh, talk about those Ironman events and how many lives have been lost over the years. John and Cove says it was up to each individual swimmer to go out or not to go out. It was up to them to make up their own minds. The conditions on Sunday morning were unreal and uh, John says Cork County Council should not be blamed for any of this and yeah and Cork County Council are pains to point out that it's Ironman owns the event and they're the ones that have sole responsibility for the management and coordination and that this responsibility includes running the event with due care, skill and attention. So yeah, Cork County Council are very much saying nothing to do with us. And John in Mallow says there was a yellow alert out on a Sunday morning. Was the yellow alert still in place, uh, John? I'd have to check that. Anyway, um, John says it was in place when the swim section took was held so therefore it should have been cancelled the swimmers knew this and they should not have entered the water no point pointing the finger of blame at different people and organisations after the event 0818 103 103 don't forget next Monday your opportunity to find out about a whopper of a competition Ireland versus South Africa Stade de France in Paris it's going to be a cracker of a match on the 23rd of September and we would like to send you and a friend to support Port Ireland on what is a wonderful world stage. We've got return flights for you. We've hotel accommodation in uh, Paris and we've managed to get our hands on gold category match tickets and they come with hospitality. So for your chance to win what is the ultimate rugby experience, you've got to listen in to C103 from Monday morning and you'll get all of the details with uh, Ken at 8.15 next Monday morning only on C103. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group for motor, home, business, farm, Life and Health Insurance. CMIG.ie. Email Patricia now with your story or comment. Cork today at C103.ie. Cork today on C103. People who worry about the idea of a cashless society were disappointed to hear this week that the National Car Testing Service, the NCT, is to go cashless in the coming months and they're encouraging people to pay online at the time of their booking. Limerick Independent Doll Deputy Richard O'Donoghue has been part of a campaign calling on the government to protect people's financial freedom by safeguarding the public's access to cash. And uh, Richard O'Donoghue from Kilmallock uh, joins me. Good morning to you, Richard. Good morning, Patricia. How are you? Uh, I'm very well and you're welcome. Uh, were you disappointed to hear the announcement by the NCT service this week? Very disappointed to hear, hear this. And again, it, it's again, from a rollout point of view from the government, they, they can't see how important it is to protect the cash industry in, in this country because if you look across the board and, and the statistics are there now for government to see it, if you look at the hotel industry, the people can tell you the tips are down for people that are in the hotel, the restaurant industry, the people that are actually there um, supplying the service and you want to give them something. They've said since the cashless things are coming into different industries that the people that you want to give something to in the likes of a tip, are now saying that they're down by 70 and 80% that they're not getting their tips. 
So for yeah, me, so people pay the bill, but you're slow to add something onto the bill. Correct. Whereas you might you might have a fiver or a couple of euro that you'll hand to a waitress or a waiter. A hundred percent. And even if we look at traditionally, right? If you look at traditionally across the board, and if you look at our our parents and our grandparents, if they meet you and they they give you their nieces or their grandchildren or whatever they want, they always give them a few euros if they were there. Yeah, yeah. You know, simple things that was part of our cultures and the culture going on. Going for confirmation, weddings, people, what are they going to do? Give you an all for one card. People like to give cash now to people even on a wedding day because they know how expensive it is. They put cash in the card for them. You know, simple things like this. It is across the board how important it is. For, for a, and, a but this one, this one now with the NCT is again, and actually only yesterday we spoke about the delay in the rollout of the National Broadband Plan. Uh, people in, in rural areas don't always have access to technology no. to allow them to do everything uh, online. Uh, so cash will always be necessary for them. And then you've got an older cohort of people who uh, are, don't want to deal with online, only want to deal in cash. They have to get their cars NCT'd as well. They do, of course. And, and, this is where we're coming back. And you, you've mentioned it there, there are an awful lot of people that don't have access to internet. I was at a match there last week and I saw three or four people standing outside the, the, the ground of, of this match. They were waiting for somebody that they knew that could they actually pay for their oh, online. And these are people that go to match. The same thing is going to happen with the NCTs. Yeah. People are going to... It's, they're causing unnecessary um, pain to people that want... Not only that... Everything within, uh, uh, if you go for a cup of coffee tomorrow morning, the banking sector now, if you're tapping for everything, they know, they know more about you than you know about yourself now because everything is tracked of what you do on a card. If you want to go to, for a cup of coffee with somebody and you want to pay for cash, you're then private. Nobody knows your business. But everything now is, seems to be like a tracking system that everything you do, every penny you spend, you have no privacy yourself. So by having a cashless society means that you've got no privacy in your life whatsoever. That means everything you do in your life is actually trackable through your card system. OK, now, in, in fairness to NCT, they, ha- they are allowing postal orders. And we, get, we had a bit of a laugh here in the, in the office because um, I heard of a, a, a young guy, I think he's in his early 20s, he actually didn't know what a postal order was. <laughs> but, but, there, but, there, but, but within it, I'm thinking again, somebody in a rural area, the inconvenience of having to go get the postal order before they go to get the NCT, it's just putting an extra layer on to, you know, that doesn't need to be done if they were allowed to pay in cash. Exactly. And any, any place you go into, you should be allowed. And, and listen to me, we can talk again about it. the NCTs are there to make sure that your vehicle is uh, emissions-wise and safe to drive on the road. You're, now you're asking a person to do an extra journey to get a postal order, which is causing more emissions for, for your car and your car to, is to have it emission tested and structured that your car is safe to be on the road. You're actually adding an extra trip Mm. Would they not just leave it as it is? Okay, now NCT, because initially when they came out, they said uh, in the Facebook post that we were alerted to here in the programme, it was that it was to do with safety. And I was thinking, okay, maybe they want, they want to be holding on to cash. But when we contacted NCT just to get the update on it, they say that it is to do with the high levels of no shows. So what they're now doing is when you book your NCT, the money goes straight out of your account, which it didn't do before. And people need to be aware of that, that the money will go out of, out of your account when you book. That's if 
with your booking, uh, with your debit or, or your credit card. But th- they have had a problem with uh, no shows. They reckon about two and a half thousand. And that's adding to the problems we all have in trying to access an NCT. So maybe some good will come out of this, Richard. Well, if, if you do that, right, so if, if you have a case that you have a no show, yeah. And they turn up the next time for their test and, and they didn't show up for their own appointment. Then you charge them that they didn't turn up. If that, tell them there will be a penalty that if, you, if there's no show and it will be added on to your NCT on the next time. That will also counteract the very same thing. And it still will keep the cash in place. So if somebody is to turn up to their NCT and decide for some unknown reason that they're not turning up, they have to know that there is a penalty going to be, that there's going to be a surcharge put on your next test when you rebook it. That will do the same thing as if the money goes out of your account. Okay, Minister McGrath uh, has promised new laws to protect people's rights to access uh, cash. Have we any idea when those laws are going to be introduced? I'd imagine it'll be the first thing on the agenda when we're back in the Dáil on the 13th of September. Um, I, the la- uh, uh, prior to the to the, um, the breakup before the summer holidays, yeah. this was to be on, as I know, as in November, is when this was to be brought back up again was to be brought back up in November. That's the knowledge that I had at the time that it would be brought back up for debate again. This was actually brought up last year when it was going to come up. This, and it was, there was a review going on and they would be dealt with before the end of the year. Now that could be shoved out again. We don't know until we actually go back in September. OK, we, we, no, no doubt we'll, we'll talk about it uh, again then, uh, Richard. Uh, but before I let you go, because I, I know you're a Kilmallock man, were you watching the Rose Tralee? I, 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 are, you, are you claiming the <laughs> New York Rose as one of your own? Listen to me, um, my office is here in Kilmallock. I'm actually, I'm actually originally from Ben Oak, but I represent the whole of County Limerick and okay. my office is here in Kilmallock. The Wiley family here, and an absolutely massive congratulations to Roisin, uh for for the what she's done, it's 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 a limerick thing, really, isn't it? For the <laughs> last number of years, it's, it's a limerick thing, and you can't be only delighted for them. Yeah. I have a man here in my office, um, Tom Mulcahy, and he said that when he heard that Roisin was going to be in the rose yeah. six weeks ago, he said that girl will win the rose at Tralee. So I'm going out to meet Tommy now and I'm going to ask him to give me the next tip for a horse of the lot or numbers. Come here, do you know, do you, do you know, did he put a fiver on her? I don't, I don't know that, oh. no, but I, I'd imagine he's a very safe, safe man, but he's a knowledgeable man. But listen to me, a massive congratulations to Roisin and the family and, and to the Wiley family. And it's, yes, it's, another win for Limerick. And yes, another win for Limerick. <laughs> we'll take any win we can get. All right, Richard, listen, thanks for that. Thank you very much. Thanks for joining us. That is uh, independent uh, Dáil Deputy from Limerick based in uh, Kilmallock, uh, Richard O'Donoghue, 0818 uh, 103 103. And it really was um, a great, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm assuming people were, were people happy with the win uh, last night from uh, by uh, Roisin? I mean, I, I, it was only this morning I got to see that the piece that she did um she did with Catherine. I mean, she came across as a real, real natural. And she was, John Paul was telling me yesterday, she was one of the ones tipped to win. You know, there's always Bookie's favourite, so she was one of the ones uh, t- tipped uh, to win. Um, I have a little clip from her. This was after her win last night uh, when Roisin spoke with uh, Josh Crosby. What did it feel like when you heard your name being called out on the stage, Roisin? Absolute shock. I, I really was not expecting it and it was the most, um, gosh, I don't think I've, I've processed it yet, and I'm just waiting for it to hit me, So, but I'm, I'm so excited. And I met you on Sunday, and we were talking. If I would have told you that this was the conversation we were going to be having on Tuesday night. Oh 
you know, I've been saying we, we really took this whole tour day by day at a time, even hour by hour. So I think on Sunday I wasn't even thinking about the selection on Tuesday. Um, I wouldn't have even processed it, but I, I can't believe that's, you know, where we're here now. What's yeah. the first thing you want to do now when this starts to settle in and the celebrations of tonight? Are... Oh, my goodness. The first thing I want to do, I really want to go back and just, you know, talk to the girls, the other 31 other, you know, women that I, I you know, experienced this with. I am just so excited to celebrate with them and talk to them about how I want to, you know, represent them over the next year. Okay, well, congratulations. That's our Rose of Trinity for 2023, Roisin uh, Wiley representing New York, but with very, very strong uh, Limerick connections. And our own Kate Chalkinsey, she did us absolutely proud. I reckon they never sort of reveal who was in the top 10 for the judges, but I'm sure she was well up there. And someone I was very impressed with last night was the young Claire uh, Rose that was um, Ashleen uh, O'Connor and um, and you could see Catherine Thomas actually got very emotional on stage when Ashleen was talking about how she she lost both of her uh, parents just three years apart her dad died in I think it was some work related accident and then her mother got uh, cancer and died uh, three weeks or three years later and then that left this little family all all on their own and but she spoke about her home parish of Fecal in County Clare and how they looked after all of Ashley's uh, family and it was incredible to hear her talking about the dinners turning up every, every day and there was a, a box by the house and people would leave things and there would be you know nothing nothing no name of who was dropping things off be it clothes for some of the children or whatever it was and then they they I, I read also that the down at the local post office they opened up an account and people could just donate money and that helped to pay for their electricity bills I mean, it's just incredible what that village of uh, vehicle did and that was one thing for the Claire Rose when she was on uh, stage you know she just wanted to to, to to give a shout out and to say how proud she was of the village of Vehicle and that, you know, she wouldn't be where she was today without that community uh, support. So well done to all of the Roses who, uh, who took part. But our con- congratulations going to Roisin Wiley, the New York Rose, who is the current Rose of Chile for 2023. Court today on C103. Ireland has become too posh when it comes to buying fruit and veg and we must lose the habit of throwing away oddly shaped produce. That's a warning coming from Fine Gael Senator Tim Lombard, uh, who joins me this morning. Good morning to you, Tim. Good morning. Now, what's going on here? We only want to buy and eat perfectly shaped fruit and veg. Is is that what this is all about? It's basically, yeah. Unfortunately, we have a situation that 30% of our fruit and veg that we actually produce in the farm never actually makes it to actual the shelf itself. So because of the criteria put in place by the supermarket chains, we're having 30% of our actual product being disregarded before it actually gets to the food, to the actual shelves itself. And so can, so can, we blame, can we blame the supermarkets rather than us? Are, are the supermarkets and shops saying that they'd find it hard to sell wonky veg? I think there's a little bit of both here. I think the supermarkets are playing the game that they're putting pressure on the actual primary producer to come up with a perfectly shaped uh, vegetable because that's what they believe will sell better. But I think there's a body of work obviously to be done with the actual consumer, with the person who actually buys, that to make sure that because a character person it might be twisted that doesn't mean it's not an appropriately um, capable and good actual fruit itself or veg so there's an awful lot of work to be done on both sides both with the retailer and with the actual consumer to make sure that we can get what I believe would be an environmental 
and financial benefit for everyone if we were to actually work together to make sure we can get this 30 percent of veg which has been dumped that's a huge amount back onto the ship it's a huge it it's a huge and and nutritionally and taste wise uh tim there's nothing wrong with a wonky carrot or a misshaped tomato and, and i only spoke earlier uh, about i got a, a very wonky shaped courgette yesterday that was homegrown uh, and it was delicious. It it cooked and tasted exactly like any other cor- perfectly shaped courgette. And I think that's that's the issue. But like if you take a 30% of our land, 30% of our fertiliser, 30% of our labour, it's all been wasted because the actual product has been disregarded. Like that's an environmental nightmare. And it's also a sin in like ridiculous stuff altogether. Um, and like we're looking at this kind of perfect vegetable that we're trying to promote that fits into a perfect tray that's going to be sold by the supermarkets. Like we don't live in a perfect world. Like vegetables don't grow straight always. They have, you know, different characteristics that make sure they do different things within their soil. And because of that, we must take that into consideration. And like, if you look what happens in the UK, they have a kind of wonky shelf kind of yeah. um, shelf. I, I allows... was in, I, I actually, I came across that a few years ago. I was in a supermarket in England and they had this whole section, a big sign up saying uh, wonky fruit and veg. And it was on sale at a reduced price. Completely. And that's a win-win for everyone. It's a win for the actual primary producer. It's a win for the actual um, consumer who can actually go in and buy perfectly nutritious food that might look a little bit funny. But it's the exact same thing when it comes to actually what you put on your plate itself. So, like, this is what what I'm actually calling for here is a forum to be put in place by the minister. We need the minister to put a food forum together. There was a proposal for a retail forum put in place there about food inflation last May. That needs to be expanded. This needs to be a bigger, bigger um, conversation about how we can change the attitudes of the actual retailers and the consumers about what happens with our wonky veg. Like to have 30% of our land basically growing vegetables that are going to be disregarded makes no environmental sense, makes no economic sense for the poor farmer who's growing stuff to be dumped. And like it's about education and bringing everyone on this line. And there is resistance here because like our supermarkets are trying to promote this narrative that everything is perfect, that you can grow vegetables that's going to be four and a half inches long and literally an inch wide. That grows for 70% of them, not for the other 30%. Mm. So we just mm. have to have real And we, we had, um, we all saw a nationwide shortage of certain veg uh, earlier on this year. And, also, and of course, there's also rumours that the possibilities could be the same because of, of the weather later on this year. So we really need to stop this being fussy, don't we? Yeah, like we look at a situation that uh, literally 15 years ago with 11,000 major growers of veg, we've reduced that down to less than 1,000 at this stage. Like the numbers have totally collapsed regarding the actual vegetable growers. Um, it's scaled up, it's got bigger, it's probably moved into a different dynamic. But we need to promote and to make sure we can actually keep these guys in the marketplace or else we'd be in a really weird scenario that would be importing vegetables, which we don't not need to do, which just makes no logical sense. Yeah, there's nothing and, worse than picking up a packet of tomatoes inside the supermarket and see that they're exported from Egypt. Drives me bananas. Sorry, yeah, pardon the pun, but yeah, yeah, literally. Just and listen, um, Tim, before I let you go, just on, on a different to- topic, um, I, know, I know the Minister for Agriculture is going before your uh, Aractus Agriculture Committee uh, early in October, and this is to discuss the, the nitrates uh, derogation. I saw you in an article in the paper, you've criticised that that may be, um, it might be too late waiting until October 4th for him to come before the committee. Yeah, we really significant um, um 
debate with DPA and with family organisations on the 11th of July about this issue, about where the nitrates um, action plan was going to go. Basically, if we, if we lose our actual derogation, we could have a situation that we could be losing maybe up to 15% of our dairy herd, which in Cork could be really significant because the milk checks in Cork go to the farm gate in 2021 were 3.2 billion euros to our actual farming community, which is a really significant driver for our economy. There's a report that has to be made available that's going to be published by the Commission by the end of September. But the problem here is the Minister won't come before us until October. There's no point having charity coming before us in October because the report is on to the European Commission. That's too late. And what we and what we've been asking for, because of the way we farm in Ireland, just totally different to the European norm, that we actually should get the European Commission over to look at what we do in Ireland regarding our grass based system. We're the only major country in the European Union that has a grass based system. In the world dynamic ourselves, New Zealand are the only country to have cows out in grass three hundred and five days a year. So, like, this is about making sure that our Romanian uh, Minister for our Commissioner comes to Ireland and he's never been to Ireland, that you see how we actually do things here. And that's what this debate was about. And I, I'll be personal, like, I'm disappointed that the Minister hasn't come before the committee. I'm disappointed that the actual Commission haven't arrived in Ireland because, like, for my part of the world and for my community, this is going to be a real, real change. Okay. If we were to lose 15% of our agricultural output for Cork alone, it's going to cost hundreds of thousands of euros. Devastating. could be devastating. OK, listen, it's an issue we will return to again. Uh, Tim, in the meantime, thank you for that and thanks for joining us. Good morning to you. That is Senator Tim Lambert. A lot of commentary uh, coming in firstly. I have to say, this text just did and it made me smile. Uh, this morning, Patricia. We love travelling, but coming home to Cork Airport is the best feeling ever. Uh, yesterday at Passport Control, the official noticed the day and said, happy birthday, Rita. It made my day. I smiled all the way home to Skibbereen, only in Ireland. Uh, eh? uh, isn't that, that is just such a gorgeous story. Yeah, I love Cork Airport. I love flying out of Cork Airport. I love, but I think I love the fact of flying back into Cork Airport because you're so close to home. Uh, and I know people in West Cork, they might still have a bit of a journey, but it's great to ride back in your own county, isn't it? But I love that, that somebody at Passport Control could have noticed that it was Rita's birthday yesterday and wished her happy birthday. So belated birthday, Greetings from all of us here at C103 as well, uh, Rita, and thank you for your text. Now, a lot of commentary in about the Rose of Tralee last night and the winner, the New York Rose, with her very strong Limerick connections. The Rose of Tralee says this text, it was lovely to watch on RTE. The winner was so nice, but and what, what a hard task the judges must have had, as every one of the 32 roses were all so lovely. What a pity, Tahi wasn't allowed to be the sole presenter. He does a wonderful job. No nonsense about him. I hope the organisers go back to one presenter next uh, year. Uh, Hi, uh, Patricia. This is from Anne. The Clare Rose should have won last night. I didn't see anything special with the New York Rose. I definitely thought it was the wrong winner. That's from Anne. Hi, Patricia. I really enjoyed the roses immensely on both nights. Also beautiful, also natural. They're great talents. And congratulations to Rose. Roisin Wiley, the winner, and the very best wishes to her in the future. My friend who was in her 70s had a great suggestion. She said, wouldn't it be great if there was a Rose of Tralee Festival for the over 70s? It might bring us 
us oldies to life again and make us more interested in keeping ourselves up to date with all of the newest fashions. What do you think, Patricia, from a Richestown listener? Why not? Why Why not? Because uh, I, I think, is it is 27 the cut-off age? I'll have to check what the cut-off age is for the Rose of Chile. But of course, this year's Rose of Chile broke a, a lot of uh, of different modes. It was the first married contestant because they because in one stage you couldn't be married there was another stage where you couldn't have had a child you wouldn't be allowed into the rose of Chile but they, they've suspended all of those what were pretty stupid rules but they are allowing people married women into it as well and, and there was the one I think I won't be correction but I think was she from Sydney but uh, they do allow married women but over 70s maybe maybe how people feel about an over 70s rose of Tralee uh, festival your thoughts welcome hi Patricia I loved the New York rose at Roisin Wiley lots of beautiful girls but was Catherine Thomas necessary I don't think so I think Dahi was sufficient on his uh, own now I have to say we sort of reading through the papers this morning going back a lot of analysis in the paper about the Rose of uh, Tralee and overall it looks like people were very happy with Catherine Thomas now I didn't see all of both nights because it just goes on too late for me. But what I saw of Catherine Thomas, I thought she was a real natural at it. I, I thought she was doing very well. But certainly from our listeners here, and this is, you know, the, the, this isn't scientific, but certainly the number of texts and calls we did yesterday and again today, a lot of people not happy with this double-hander of having the two presenters. Now, I'm, I'm assuming the organisers sit down and they look at it again and they make the decision, is this the way it's going to be going forward? Or will they revert back to just one? Uh, and and I'm assuming that would be Dahi, but maybe they revert back to one and it would just be Catherine on her own. Who knows? You're also welcome to 0818 Hi, Patricia. With regards to the 20-year-old the guy who you said didn't know what a postal order was, well, ask anyone in their 70s, do they know what Revolut or gaming online uh, is? You'd be surprised. There's a lot of people over the age of 70 have a Revolut card. Don't be assuming that all of them don't know uh, what a Revolut card uh, is. 0818103103. Let me go to a lot of commentary in on where will I start with this? Um, let me start with the NCT and the fact the NCT now are going cashless within the next uh, few months. Pat Infamoy says, I kind of half agree with what the NCT are proposing to do because one of the reasons they say is to do with the no-shows. Simple thing to do though is to target those no-shows. Many of those no-shows are the same people time after time who don't turn up to get their car NCT'd. So if you don't show up the first time, it's put on your record if you don't show up a second time, that's a second black mark against you. And then when you do go in to do your NCT, you're going to have to pay for all of the other tests that you miss. Otherwise, you won't get a uh, test. Now, that's something similar to what um, Richard O'Donoghue suggested as well. Derek and Glamour said that he spent a bit of time in Spain. Now, Atlas, the country that runs our NCT, they're a Spanish company and they run the very same type of testing in Spain. But it's different to Ireland. He said in the south of Spain, as far as he knows, it's it's, it's regional. It depends on what region you're in. But certainly in the south of Spain, you don't make an appointment for your NCT. There are NCT centres dotted around the place in southern Spain and you simply show up and wait. Now, Derek says you can go there someday and there might be a big queue and you go away and come back uh, again. But that's how it works. It's you just turn up, get your car NCT'd and he's wondering, would the company not think of doing something similar here? How would people feel about that? Well, you don't get, you get notified, obviously, when 
telling you that your test is due at the end of such and such a month and then you simply just turn up and hope for the best that at the particular time that you turn up there won't be a big queue uh, ahead of uh, you. And of course the whole thing with the NCT led us on to have a conversation then about cashless society and are we moving more and more towards a cashless uh, society. Peter says it's an issue with our government. The government have the power to bring in legislation that will insist that all companies must accept cash. So it's time now for the people to get onto their elected representatives to tell them that we we must be allowed to have cash in our society. Someone said I would suggest the Deputy Richard uh, Richard O'Donoghue who joins you goes away, goes back to the doll and helps put cash on a legal footing via primary legislation. In fairness, Richard O'Donoghue is a member of the, I think he's with the rural independent uh, groups. They've been fighting really hard to make sure that cash is maintained as a legal tender and they've been constantly getting on to the Department of Finance. So they've been fighting this one way before Richard joined us this morning on uh, the programme. Hi Patricia, it's uh, people's own choice whether they want to pay in cash or card. I actually uh, have had problems only this morning with my bank card. Ended up having to ring the bank and I'll be on hold for about an hour. Cash actually creates jobs as well. Let us not forget that. Hi Patricia, cash is legal tender and it should be illegal for any company, business or shop to accept cash in any place. We need to protect the ability to pay with cash. At the end of the day, it is illegal tender. The older generation would be lost if we moved to a cashless society. Someone says, what happens if you don't have a bank card? Are they saying you won't be able to do your NCT? That'll be great. What will the Gardaí be able to do about that? No. What the NCT are saying is you can go to your post office what is it, 55 euro is it to do your NCT? You can go to the post office in advance of taking your test and you purchase a postal order and you bring the postal order with you. They won't accept a cheque, but they will accept a postal order. This is Anne. Hi, Patricia. Getting a postal order is not only inconvenient, but do you know you also have to pay extra for a postal order? So Richard, who... O'Donoghue, who joined you on the programme, the independent uh, TD from Limerick, is right. By just using cards, we are being tracked everywhere we go. We're even being tracked on our mobile phones. For example, if I use Google Maps, I'm being checked all the time, says um, Anne. Someone at Claire says, Patricia, all this nonsense about a cashless society that's been sprouted about. There was somebody from the NCT on radio yesterday saying they never use their cards. They tap with their phone. And in my opinion, uh, that will be gone in the very near future. Well, that's baloney. I work in a shop and a lot of people, young and old, still think cash is king. There are a lot that pay on their phones and they're missing at times when they can't get the phone to work. The NCT have an issue with no shows. It's their problem. So they need to sort it out. Postal orders, as Anne, our previous uh, contributor, has just said, postal orders cost money. And why should people be charged for their NCT weeks before they actually get the appointment? The country seems to be turning into a dictatorship. Every problem is put on the cash-strapped consumer while some genius in an office claps themselves on the back and says, there you go, problem solved. Rant over. Counterguards. And that's from uh, Claire. Okay, that's just some of your calls and comments uh, coming in to do with both the NCT and to do uh, with going cashless. And just on the cashless, this came in, this was shared with us yesterday 
on and I've seen it since on a lot of Facebook pages they're share, sharing it and it's it's a poem kind of a bit of a poem called Cash is Freedom a cashless society means zero cash so what does that mean? No car boot sales markets no tooth fairy piggy banks no saving cash for a rainy day no tipping the waiter or the hairdresser no giving to the homeless no giving to busky musicians. No selling unwanted items for cash. No buying anything with privacy. 100% digital currency means your life is 100% dependent on a power source and the internet. Every penny you receive will be recorded. Every transaction will be tracked. And is that the world we are heading towards and is that the world you want to live in? 0818 103 103. Jump all taking new calls. C103 Jobs. Community employment positions there available in Kilworth, Formoy and Araglan. Uh, email michelle at formoyimagece.ie uh, for more information. An experienced legal secretary is wanted in Bandon. Now, it is a full-time job. CV and cover letter, please, to Ted Hallisey at hplaw.ie. The Lodge and Spa in Injadani have a number of vacancies. They're looking for spa therapists, receptionists, breakfast and dinner waiting staff, a chef and a breakfast supervisor. CVs to E. Shepherd at InchadoniIsland.com or phone 023 And the Crawford Art Gallery in Cork, they've got vacancy for an audience development and communications executive. Please apply through their website to crawfordartgallery.ie forward slash vacancies. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. Now, a charity that I often feel don't get enough media attention was set up 10 years ago following the death of 26 year old Kevin Bell from Newry. He was tragically killed in a hit and run incident in New York. Now, following the family's experience in getting Kevin's body home, the Kevin Bell Repatriation Trust was set up to talk about the amazing work that they do. I'm delighted to be joined by Kevin's dad, uh, Colin Bell. Uh, good morning to you, Colin. Good morning, Patricia. And you're very welcome. It's It's been a few years since I've spoken to you, so it's, all, it's always a pleasure uh, to speak with you. Um, at times, is it hard to believe that it's 10 years ago uh, since your Kevin died? Or at times, does it feel like yesterday? All the time it feels like yesterday, to be honest. It, it, uh, it was very, very quick years. Kevin was actually killed on my 60th birthday, and I had 70 there just the uh, last month. So, uh, And it definitely does not seem like 10 years. Well, and, and when you as a family or a family get that call, where did you start to begin that process of repatriation? Well, we were very, very lucky in that uh, Kevin was actually killed something like quarter to three uh, on on a Sunday morning. And Ethna, my wife's cousin, Nasa Nigongo from, from Martian, actually lived in, in Manhattan and she knew quite a lot of people. So in actual fact, Kevin, in something like 1,630 people now we have taken home to Ireland. 
Kevin was the quickest because he was killed, as they say, Sunday morning. His post-mortem took place on Sunday afternoon. Uh, NASA and the boys from the Armagh Gaelic team, who Kevin was playing with, uh, went everywhere on the Monday to get the proper paperwork signed. Uh, he was released to the undertaker on Tuesday, on Monday. Uh, he was on the plane uh, on Tuesday night, and he was home in our house on Wednesday. Wow! And that, in, as they say, in, in the one thousand six hundred and thirty odd people now we have taken home, there has never, never been one quicker. Goodness me, goodness me! But how soon then after Kevin's funeral? Did, did did you come up with the idea and did, and did you decide I'll, 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 we'll try and help other families? Well, it, it was to be honest, it was more or less by accident. Now, we, we would be a very well-known family in Newry. My father was a teacher, my mother was a teacher, I was a teacher, my wife uh, heavily involved in drama, I was heavily involved in, in football, Gaelic and soccer and uh, as I say, we had seven children under the age of six so we were very well known in Newry so whenever whenever Kevin was killed the town went into an absolute frenzy of fundraising to bring Kevin home and in the space of a week there was £150,000 raised to bring Kevin home and obviously it didn't take that to bring him home and we were left with this huge amount of money which wasn't really ours and uh, about a week after Kevin's funeral, we saw uh, in, or heard on the news about a young man from Belfast had had been killed in Thailand. So we contacted his parents and said, look, we'll, uh, we'll pay to bring your son home. The following week, there was a young fellow from Sligo who died in, in Las Vegas. Again, we reached out to the parents. And as I say, once it comes to your own door, you see it, you can see it, you know, mm-hmm. so much more easy and so we kept reaching out to people and then it got to the stage where we said right we'll, we'll make this Kevin's legacy and we applied for charity status in Northern Ireland here and then uh, we applied for to the charity regulator uh, down south and, and we became registered charity in both jurisdictions and as I say in the in the 10 years since now we've taken 1,600 it's incredible. It's incredible. It's inc- and uh, w- what a legacy. Uh, and I love the fact, uh, and, and I take it it's very important to the family that it's in uh, Kevin's name because he loved to travel himself. Oh, he, <laughs> he just loved life. He was yeah. A, I suppose a, 20, a 26 year old uh, who wasn't going to grow any older. And he, was, he just loved the crack and he loved, he had been in Australia, he'd been all over the place. and he had arrived in New York and, and finally found a place that was big enough for his personality and was living life and, and really enjoying himself and loving the crack in New York. Unfortunately, accident happened. Was was anybody ever um, charged for the hit and run? No. No, no there was never. No, he was actually hit by two different vehicles. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. drove on. But, but we, I mean, it's not something that's going to... We're not going to get him back, and, and yeah, yeah, and we're uh, we're not going to let that. The fact, he, I mean, he's doing, or he's doing that much good work. I mean, we're 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 very proud of him. 
And, you know, 1,000, I think it's 1,620, I think is, is the official figure uh, in, in the 10 years. Uh, uh, Colin, is, uh, is that from all corners of the world now at this stage? Absolutely, all corners of the world. In fact, in July last month, we had our worst month ever. We took 33 people home to Ireland from all parts of the world. 33? Yeah, in, in, in July, yeah, unfortunately. And during COVID and the pandemic, was your work affected, or did you did you did you still do repatriations? No, no, no we still did repatriations. Yeah, yeah, we were we were lucky. We were still able to to get people home to their loved ones, home to their families, and it it didn't it didn't really affect the numbers, to be honest. And when so, I mean, it, it's it's one of those charities, uh, Colin. If you don't mind me saying that, that you you don't want to have to use, but you know the very fact that you've got to pick up the phone and reach out to to your charity means you've lost a, a loved one abroad. And and is that literally what happens? How how do you find out about these people that are abroad and need to come home? Well, I think that's probably one of the, the uh, no, as as well as as being able to. You know, pay for to bring some somebody home. When we get the phone call from a family, family, I mean, we're we're in a position now where we can just say, that, "Look, you don't have to do any anything else," because obviously they're in a state of shock and don't know who to turn to. And we're able to just say, "Look, we'll take it out of your hands. You don't have to do anything. We'll get your loved one home." And uh, so. We probably through word of mouth is, is quite a lot. You know, mm. if somebody does get that bad news, somebody somebody now will have heard of Kevin Bell repatriation. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Trust. But as well as that, if they ring the, the Department of Foreign Affairs... They'll put you through. The Department of... Yeah. They'll, they'll give us our number, yeah. And and so some so a family contacts you, and how much information then do you have to get from the family in order for you to begin the work that you need to do? Well, we don't need an awful lot of information. What we do need to know is exactly where the body is. You know, the country, the 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 hospital, or the morgue, or such as that, and. Uh, we need to know who, where they're coming home to. The undertaker at home, and once and and possibly if if, if they have a contact number for somebody for a friend or 
or somebody who's travelling with with them or or a family member out there, you know. That's helpful. That, that's really yeah. That's really all the information we need, and then we can we can start the process to get them home. Do I'm assuming, uh, Colin? Do some countries have more red tape than others? Oh, that, yes, and, and you can be very lucky. You know, you can you can get somebody home. You know, from from anywhere in the world, really, in seven to ten days. But in some countries, the paperwork might might. Uh, and courts and stuff like that there might might make it two weeks or three weeks but generally people we get people home within uh, between one and two weeks and that's important obviously for the families to get their loved one home as soon as possible and I'm assuming because of yeah. all of the countries Australia, Argentina, South Korea, the United States Canada, Ecuador, Cambodia, India Uganda to name but a few of the countries where you've repatriated uh, loved ones uh, from you've, you've at this stage I'd say built up a lot of contacts have you Colin? Oh yes I would say now it's generally I mean if somebody dies in, in the United States, one one phone call or one email will get the ball rolled. The same with Australia, uh, and most most countries at this stage, we would we would have our preferred on uh, undertakers on that side who will do the work for us. And I mean, at this stage, we don't. It used to be we used to have to have pay the money up front, but I think now we're and, and of course we've got the backing of the Department of Foreign Affairs who guarantee our bona fides to, to whatever country there is, you know. So, uh, yeah, we, 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 we have lots of contacts. And how much does it cost to repatriate somebody, Colin? Well, that depends. So the, I presume now, if you're talking from anywhere in, in Europe, it's generally between maybe five and 7,000, uh, five and 7,000 uh, euro. And then, of course, from uh, the legs of, of New York, you could double that. Uh, and uh, interestingly enough, you know, if it was San Francisco, it would be somewhere around 10,000. Uh, New York is quite expensive. Australia is, would be in the region of, of uh, 12,000 Australian dollars, which isn't massive, really, but... It's massive if you haven't got it, of course. That's you know, it, but, it uh, is. And you're talking about a grieving family who, you know, whatever about when you're expe- yeah. expecting expenses and you might be saving, but for a lot of families, that's certainly not the case. And then, and, and you cover all those uh, costs, uh, Colin. Are you totally reliant, oh, yeah. reliant on fundraising? Oh, absolutely. We're, we're, we're I mean, uh, ours is, is a charity that, that the Irish people have taken to really yeah. the, the support we get is, is amazing and it's a charity which does rely obviously on community and people fundraise we, we're lucky ourselves we don't have to, to fundraise people fundraise for us and the people fundraise for us in Australia and they fundraise for us in anywhere where the, the, the Irish diaspora we will get there will be fundraisers for us. Isn't that brilliant? And of course, we don't, yeah, it is. Oh, it's amazing. And as I said, I would say it's a, a typically Irish thing, you know, with the community. And and, uh, and uh, I don't think there's another uh, similar charity throughout the world. 
know. Yeah, because I was. We were talking earlier about those um, two gentlemen who were killed in the Ironman uh, competition, and of course, there uh, one of the, the Ivan, one of the gentlemen, was from Canada, and his uh, wife and uh, daughter came uh, came over um, on Monday, and they had a cremation yesterday, and they're just bringing his ashes uh, back, and I, and yeah. I just thought, God. If you had somebody like the Kevin Bell repatriation, you could have got him back to Canada. But they obviously it's a, it was a more more cheaper, convenient uh, way to do the cremation here and just yeah. bring the ashes back. But uh, for us, the Irish, we love our traditional funerals, and you know, and it's just important. It's just so important for families. And somebody sent in a text. Oh, most important. Someone sent in a text. that don't, and they've asked me not to call out their name, which is fine. But to say the the fantastic Kevin Bell repatriation fund recently brought a family member home. The family will be forever grateful. And I think that's uh, that very much sums it up. Listen, continue good work to everybody involved in the trust, uh, Colin. You're, you're incredible uh, people. And long may you continue because we're, you. we're always going to need we're always going to need a charity uh, like yours. And I thank you for taking time out to talk to us today. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Patricia. Appreciate the, the opportunity. Bye-bye. 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 Thank Bye-bye. you. Bye-bye. That is uh, the wonderful Kevin Colin Bell, who's the dad of Kevin Bell and the charity is simply, it's called the Kevin Bell Repatriation Trust. If you ever come across any type of fundraiser for it, please donate because they do um, the most amazing work. And as I say, it is one of those charities that you don't ever want to have to use. But, you know, we never know. We all have loved ones living abroad. We never know when it could arrive on our doorstep. And you've got to make that call to say, can you help me? And that's when they're there. They're there for you. John Paul's taking your calls at 0818 103 103. You can text, you can WhatsApp to 0862 103 103. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. Email Patricia now with your story or comment. Cork today at c103.ie. Can you talk to me? Cork today on C103. Now, in the coming days, two young athletes from Kahula near Bantry will be flying the flag for Ireland because they'll be representing this country in the Junior European Championships in kickboxing. The Istanbul event will be one of the biggest gathering of kickboxing youth in Europe this year. And to wish them well before they travel, I'm joined by Oshin and Oren Brady. Good morning to you both, boys. Good morning. Good morning. How are you? And you're welcome. Oshin, I'll start with you because you are the uh, the oldest. Um, yeah. Okay, uh, take me back. When did you start kickboxing? And I believe you come from a family of kickboxers. Yeah, I come from a long family of kickboxers. Oh, I started kickboxing when I was four. Um, my dad brought me in. I suppose me being an energetic kid, what better way to release the energy than, you know, kicking, screaming, running, doing exactly what you're not meant to be doing in kickboxing class. <laughs> and, yeah, you, so, and, and you've stuck with it since you were four yeah so I took a real liking to it when I was four and um, you know I suppose our, our dad saw a talent in the pair of us and we just I think I think that sport just really was it for us because the discipline in it the fun the the connections you get with people that that was the main thing for me you know I love that uh, even training with the little kids now the connection you have with the people is uh, second to none and it's great sport. And and Oren, were you the same? Did you start at a young age as well? Yeah, I started at like five or six um, in Bantry and then later on, my dad used to collect me early from school and bring me to Kinmare and I think that's when I really fell in love with it. 
was just like, this is the sport for me, really. And yeah. and the fact that you, your your dad is is both your coaches is it is it Ushin? Yeah, he's both our coaches. Yeah. So he's been coaching us since uh, we started, and you know what? We've never looked back. It's been it's been a great connection because even as our dad to be able to do this to spend all that time with him, it's great. Now, talk to me about a training uh, regime, Ushin. How often do you train? So throughout the year, we train uh, twice a day, six days a week. You know, and it's it's always different training. So depending on when the competition is, when we need to peak. So we have loads of different trainings, endurance, speed, strength and conditioning, and then we have our kickboxing. So it's not just all kickboxing. It's all different stuff to make sure we're peaking at the right time. Oren, or, or is, is it a dangerous sport? Um, no, not really. It kind of has this, this thing about it that people think it's dangerous, but it's really not. I mean, I've never really been injured from it. And I've been doing it, what, 10 years now? Yeah. So, yeah, it's just really enjoyable, to be honest. And how, um, Oshin, explain how you've qualified to get on the Irish team for the European Championships. So, to get on the European team, you need to fight in your national championship, in your discipline. So, I would fight in full contact in the ring. And uh, you need to come first or second, and then you uh, get your place on the team. So there's high level in Ireland. So to even get on your team, it's it's a great accomplishment because I've been there years and years and lost many times and failed to make the team. And it was great to get on it this year because I had a tough enough fight as well in my final. So it was great. And did, and and Oren, did you have a tough enough journey to make it to, onto the Irish team? Yeah, well, I went through the nationals and yeah, won that. And yeah, I suppose I've been training really all year for it and it's just a relief to get on and then training hasn't really stopped since and are you, would you ever fight each other or are you in different categories <laughs> <laughs> I think we uh, tend to stay away from each other uh, Orn would be uh, a higher weight than me oh. but he'd also be a younger age so okay. thank god I don't have to fight him <laughs> <laughs> so Orn is the one that eats too many pies is it Oshin? What's that? <laughs> does he? If he's a heavier weight, does he eat yeah, too yeah, much? Yeah, yeah, strong. He's oh, like yeah. an ox. He's like an ox when he hits me. <laughs> now, um, Oshin, you, well, you're both well used to the world stage. You've, Oshin, you've won a world title. Yeah, yeah. Um, to win that world title last year, that was that was an amazing thing for me because I had a big injury which stopped me training for six months before that, uh, just before that competition. So we're really going in only a few months of proper training. So it was a bit, it was a bit scary, um, but it's those years of training since I was four, you know, since I was a kid uh, doing pads with dad and stuff like that. That's what got me through. That's what won me the world championship. It wasn't the few months before. Mm. It was the years before that I was training. And you know what? When we, even when we were kids, me and Orin, we were training like, we were training like athletes. Like we'd have so much fun. But in the end of the day, we're training at a very high level and we're always training with each other and improving from each other because Oren has things that I don't. I have things that Oren don't and we get to learn from each other, which is a great thing. So I think it was those years of training, really. Yeah, yeah. and Oren, you, you made it to... You got a bronze in, in the Worlds, wasn't it? I did, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah well, I, did, I had no injury now, but I had a few surgeries earlier on in the year. So they kind of set me back with the... the uh, kind of energy kind of side of things but then same as Oshin for the few months before it has training health for letters so so yeah. how, how are you both feeling heading to Istanbul are you in peak condition 
Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, we, yeah, we've had no nothing stopping us this year from training. You know, it's been really smooth. We're over in France uh, in our camp for over a month, and you know that was we made serious improvements over there physically, even mentally. We just feel like we're much more ready for this one. We haven't had anything to stop us, which is absolutely great because you know, in a sport like kickboxing, you're going to have injuries here and there, but we seem to get through this one. All right, thank God. And is it a popular sport or in Cork? In Cork, it's it's actually gaining a lot of popularity. There's there's a few clubs now scattered around the county. In Ireland, it's uh it's more popular along the kind of cities, and like all young teenagers getting into it, and it's really good. Like it's definitely on the rise in Ireland. Like in other countries, it'd be one of the most popular sports. And you oh, have because yeah. you, you you have uh, you have a kickboxing club in in Bantry. Is there one in Castleton Bear as well? Yeah, there is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so when um, Oshin, when do you travel to Turkey, and who's going besides Owen, so, Obviously, I leave on uh, Friday morning. Okay. Uh, we leave with the Irish team, so there'll be about fifty other Irish people uh, flying over to fight. But for us, it's uh, me, Oren and Dad. We kind of stick to our own little bubble, our own little group. Um, yeah, and that's the three of us heading over, and that's that's how it has been for years now. The three of us heading to competitions, sticking to ourselves, you know, and that's that's our own environment. That's the environment we like. So that works. That we'll that, that works for you guys. So so stick to it. And when do you fight? When's your first fight? So uh, we should be up early in the week. I'm hoping to fight the first day on the Monday. Get get a nice start on it, and then hopefully, if I get through. We'll be fighting throughout the week until Friday or Saturday. Okay, we'll be keeping a very close eye on Istanbul uh, next week uh, uh, for sure. Okay, we wish you the, the both of you the very, very uh, best of luck. Uh, by the way, somebody's asking: um, Is it an Olympic sport? Isn't isn't there talks of it becoming an Olympic sport? Yeah, so it's now recognised as an Olympic sport. Okay, but we need to. We need to still figure out when it's going to become in the actual Olympic Games. So it's not going to be in 2024, but me and Oren both have our eyes set on 2028. And if okay. it is, we'll definitely be trying to go over and win some medals for Ireland. Like that, that is the dream for us to be fighting the Olympics for Ireland. And I think you've got a, a really good shot at it uh, as well. Listen, best of luck next week in the Europeans, um, Oshin and Oren. And thanks a million for taking time out to talk to us. Thank you very much. Good morning to you. Bye-bye. I was going to call him the Brady Bunch, but I won't. That's uh, Oshin Brady. He's the older brother. He's 18. And Oren uh, Brady, who I think is 16, um, who are flying the flag for Ireland in kickboxing. We'll, if we get any update on them throughout next week, we'll bring it to you. Now we've just a little bit of good news here to the programme here on a Wednesday morning. The Imro Radio Awards, the nominees are out. These are the annual events that, uh, an annual event that's held every year around the start of October and you enter various programmes and keep your fingers crossed and hope you get nominated and I say every year uh, when we do manage and we have had a number of nominations uh, over the years and we've had some wins but uh, whenever we get nominated I always think just to get nominated because so many people enter these different categories and just about five usually I get um, sent forward to the actual final on the night so it's always great just to get the nod just to be uh, nominated so delighted to say that a programme that we did it was the day after we lost our wonderful Paudy Palmer when Paudy 
died. We did a, a, a special part of the programme was dedicated to remembering uh, Paddy, and it was it was emotional. I remember we were all so upset, and it was one of those really emotional uh, programmes that we all struggled to get through. But you felt you had to get through it, and you got through it because we were very very much thinking of Paddy and what you know an utter true professional he was. And you know he wasn't just a, a work colleague; he was a friend. He was a friend to uh, all of us, and and we still we still are heartbroken. Uh, with his loss. So delighted to say that that's the programme that we've been nominated for. I think it's under it's under a sports category uh, we put it in under because we felt that that was the most appropriate and it's simply entitled Remembering uh, Pawdy. So delighted that we've been nominated uh, for that and it, it's almost like we'll be bringing Pawdy with us on the night of the awards. Uh, and well done to John Paul because he put the nomination together and he puts a huge amount of work into putting those nominations uh, together. 0818 03. Now, some of your thoughts and comments are coming in. I spoke with the wonderful Colin Bell in the last hour uh, talking about the loss of his son 10 years ago and then how they set up that repatriation fund and they've just helped out so many families and let's not forget they've helped out so many Cork uh, families as well and uh, a listener Liz was on to us to say a family member of Liz has passed away and uh, overseas and she said there was about a delay of two months which was just heartbreaking for the family and she said they eventually got on to the Kevin Bell Repatriation Trust and Liz said only for Colin and the Kevin Bell Repatriation Trust, she feels her family would still be waiting. She said the work they do is absolutely incredible. So she wants to just call that out and acknowledge it. And as I say, it's only when you get touched by the Kevin Bell Repatriation Fund that you realise how important that uh, service is. 0818 103 103. Uh, Dick has been on to us to say he uh, was in St. Coleman's Park in Formoy last night. Now he says, for people outside of the area, St. Coleman's Park, we've mentioned it before in the programme. It's the park that always has an ongoing problem with the dog poo and people not cleaning up after their dogs and those that do, there's no bins provided and that became, people then were, you know, even those who were being responsible bringing their plastic bags rather than bring it home or keep going on your walk until you find a bin, people were dumping what they were collecting from the dog waste and just leaving it in the plastic bags. Anyway, there was great news, Dick says a while ago. Two bins were installed. They've been there now a while. He said it's terrific. But anyway, last night when he was out for his walk, he appreciates it's got to be probably the worst job of all, emptying those bins. But he said last night, both of the bins, the dog fouling bins, were full right up to the top. So he says, wait and see. It won't be long now until the poo bags will just be discarded uh, either next to the nearest uh, ditch uh, they need the the way it was before the bins were installed. Now, what I would say to you, Dick, is get on to the local council and make them aware that the bins are uh, full. I mean, I, I don't know how often they go and empty those bins, but they, if it's a popular walkway for dogs and they need to be collected uh, and emptied, obviously more often, but I agree, not the most pleasant of jobs. But I would get on to the council and let them know that both bins are full because they may be unaware that they haven't been emptied. 0818 103 103. Oh, thank God Mary's been on. Uh, we've had so many people complaining about poor old Catherine Thomas and people were just just not happy with Catherine Thomas co-presenting with Dahi O'Shea, The Rose of Chile. Myself and John Paul were both taken aback because the bit I saw of Catherine, I thought she did really well. So did John Paul. But a lot of our listeners weren't happy and were saying that they should revert back to the way it was with just Dahi on his own. Well, Mary disagrees. She said, I think Catherine Thomas was a breath of fresh, fresh air. Dahi and
and Catherine worked so well together over the last two nights. Mary says, rather tongue in cheek now. Oh, she would like to point out also, as men get older, they actually need a bit of help. <laughs> oh, Dahio, she would love you for that one, uh, Mary. He really would. And then Noreen was on from Mitchestown to say, so proud of Roisin Wiley winning the Rose of Trilly last night. Noreen Hennessy in Mitchestown says that Roisin is actually a cousin of hers. So the family are particularly proud. Well done uh, to her. Yeah, she looks like she's going to be a great, great Rose of uh, Trilly. On money and cashless societies and NCT going cashless, etc. John says... If his memory serves him right, was it not true that Charlie Hawhey a number of years said people are living beyond their means with their plastic cards? And of course, back in those days, we wouldn't have had the tap and go that we have now. So I'm assuming what Charlie would have been referring to was people running up huge bills on their credit cards. Yeah, and that was the time when he did that address to the nation telling everybody to tighten their belts. And little did we know the extravagant life that Charlie was living at the time. And Jura said, Patricia, I would like to remind the listener who appears to think that over 70s don't know what a Revolut card is or don't know what gaming is. Well, I'm way over my 70s. I have a Revolut card. I've had it for four years now. As for gaming, I'm well into that also. Great show. Keep up the good work. Well done, Jura. Thank you for that. Somebody else on Cashless Society says, Patricia, what about mattress money? Oh God, you shouldn't have money under your mattress, but I know what you're talking about. What about people who save money in a money box? Will we lose all this if we headed into a cashless society? No, they will never get rid of cash entirely. It's just they're encouraging everyone to move to a cashless society. And Pat on this subject says, do we do we have to change our way of life and our way of living just to please a few? And I can't use that phrase that you're using a few. Well, I just say people in power, Pat, I can't. Use the phrase you want to use. Anyway, so just to fuse, just to please a few people in power who want to change the world. No, we don't. And guess what, says Pat? We won't. I hope this message goes out loud and clear. They can push all they want, but we will be there to stop them and to say, no, we will continue using cash. Thank you for that. On the Iron Man and the tragic events at the weekend, a couple of texts in on that, Patricia. The tragic loss of two competitors in the Iron Man event last Sunday was a real, real tragedy. There's been a lot of blame levelled at the sponsors, levelled at the organisers of the Ironman event held in Yaw. The individual competitors are aware that they are partaking in a very strenuous, extreme competition and they are the only ones who can really assess their ability to compete each step of this event on the day, especially when sea conditions were obviously rather dangerous. Is there any criteria to qualify in order to register for these events or can anyone enrol to complete I don't know the answer to that and I'd have to find out somebody who has enrolled. Do you need to qualify? I do know I heard that the Yall event was an important one because I think the one, the top 100 would be entitled to enter into an Ironman competition in Hawaii. So obviously some of the competitions, they're limited on the number of people. It's almost like, you know, the London Marathon, you know, people qualify for some of those larger marathon events and it, and certainly some of these extreme events. But I, I, I know you can't turn up on the day, for example, that that would be an impossible thing to do. But is there a criteria before anybody registers? If anybody knows, let us know, uh, please. And then somebody who lives locally in 
Mall. Uh, and the Ironman says, while there might have been chaos in the water, try travelling the roads in the weeks before the event. Absolutely lethal, says this texter. Cyclists are all over the road. You can't say a word to them. You'll get abused. And locals then for the weekend of the Ironman competition are locked uh, into their homes. You can't go anywhere or do anything. And there's no consultation about road uh, closures. Yeah, so it's, it's a little bit like when the West Cork rally is on, you know, even though th- that route changes year on year. Uh, but people who are not into the sport see it as a huge inconvenience because the road is closed and, and they can't go anywhere. So obviously it's the same for people in Yaw. But overall, there is a huge economic bene- benefit to the town, the amount of people that come into the area for an event like Ironman. So I suppose the council, when they're weighing up road closures, they, they, they think of that. But yes, I have sympathy for anybody who's locked into their home and can't get out because an event that's on that they have no interest uh, in. And Katrina says it's easy to blame triathlon slash Ironman slash others for the two deaths at the weekend. At the end of the day, it's up to everyone to keep safe and to know when to partake or when to abstain from an event. The two families of those dead competitors have enough to be dealing with besides this to the bickering and the blame that's going on at the moment as who's at fault etc. At the end of the day says Katrina surely it's a learning game. 0818103103 and just on wonky veg that we spoke to Tim Lombard about regarding your conversation on wonky veg. Why don't the main supermarkets offer veg boxes where vegetables that say are about to go off are a little bit wonky are on sale but at a reduced price. You can go on to something called the Too Good To Go app but most supermarkets are very bad for making customers aware of food waste. They should have these veg boxes everywhere. Yeah, and as I say I do remember shopping a couple of years ago in England being in one of the largest supermarkets and big sign displaying wonky veg and there they had crooked carrots and stuff and they were on sale at a much reduced price. Surely all of the supermarkets could introduce something like that as well. 0818 if you have a gardening question, can you get it into us, uh, please? John Paul's taking calls at 0818-103-103 or you can text in your gardening questions. You can text them in to uh, 0862-103-103. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council, where communities and businesses all across the county can get the support they need at corkcoco.ie. The Lambertstown Five Mile Road Race, and that's in association with Mount Hillary Athletic Club. That's going to be hosted tomorrow, half past seven. It starts and finishes at Crowley's in Gertrude, and the registration will be 15 uh, euro. There will be a table quiz in the winning post in Rossmore on Friday. Night proceeds going to the wonderful West Cork Rapid Response 10 euro per person. And for Moy Rugby Club, they're having a car boot sale on Saturday, 7 a.m. to 2 p.m. It's to raise funds for new lights at the rugby club grounds. All are welcome. And the lads are from the 4 to 8 club in Dunamore. They're climbing Caron Tool this Saturday. It's in aid of ARC. House Cancer Support Centre in Cork. You can donate through their idonate.ie fundraising uh, account.
Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. If you are a rugby fan or there is a rugby fan in the house, make sure you're tuned our way next week as we've got a big, big competition coming your way. Ireland versus South Africa, Stade de France in Paris. The date for that match is the 23rd of September and we are hoping to send you and a friend to support Ireland on the world stage. We have return flights organised, we have three nights accommodation in Paris and a gold category match tickets uh, and that comes with hospitality and you can find out how to win what is the ultimate rugby experience. You need to listen in on The Breakfast Show from next Monday morning with Ken. He'll be back from his holidays with all of the information at 8.15 on uh, Monday uh, morning. So stay tuned for that. Now some of your texts uh, coming in. Somebody, when I was just talking about wonky veg, there's nothing wonky about these veg. Somebody said, look Patricia, just picked from my garden some Bridget in Donovan, the most gorgeous cherry tomatoes and they will be bursting with flavour and I'm unsure what the top green veg are. Pardon my ignorance, uh, Bridget, you're going to have to let me know <laughs> what the top veg are. Hi Patricia, when you're talking about cycling, Mike in Bantry says people are keep cycling on footpaths. It's happening all summer in Bantry. Something needs to be done about it. And on the Ironman uh, competition, hi Patricia, the town of Yall needs the financial boost that the Ironman brings and it would be devastating if the Ironman or Triathlon Ireland decided to uh, pull the plug. Yeah, and I, yeah, I don't know whether that would uh, happen or not, but I suppose only time will tell on what's going to happen after the tragic events last uh, weekend. Joan is in for my, uh, good, good afternoon, Joan. Hi, Tricia. You come in defence of Catherine Thomas. Yeah, I actually thought she was very good last night. Yeah, so did I. But you, I, you'd be blown away if I was to read out some of the te- texts we got in. Not, oh. not everyone is happy with her. Some, some people saying very not nice things, which I'm not reading out, by no, the way. I actually thought she brought a new dimension. I thought she was so sympathetic to some people. She really sounded, and to me, she was very genuine. Yeah, And it was lovely to see her go down and speak with the parents in the audience of the contestants. Yeah. Because they were so proud of daughters and nieces up there, you know. I really thought that, now, Dahi on his own was always very good. But I just thought that she gelled very well with him. And I couldn't real I couldn't really find a flaw. Yeah, so you, you would be happy if they if they went back with the oh, two I again would. next and year. And I yeah. got it into the impression that in the end the man spoke about them as if they were a cert for next year. Oh, well done. I wasn't I wasn't up that late to hear to hear the end well, of it. Well I was because <laughs> to me it was one of the ones that I really enjoyed because so many of the contestants were, you know, people with problems and they included it was such an inclusive show. Yeah, yeah. I thought it brought a whole new dimension to it. Yeah, a lot, of, I, a lot of people, a, a lot of people are saying that. And I know, actually, just on Catherine, when I spoke with Kate Chalkinsy yesterday, our cork rose, and she was first on stage, yes. which obviously is really nerve wracking to be the first rose up. And it was Catherine did the interview, and she spoke about how relaxed Catherine made her feel, yeah, and how and she made everybody, and yeah. she gave them big hugs, and they weren't artificial ones. Yeah, yeah. She could see how nervous. 
And I think the transformation program had given her a good insight into, you know, people's nerves coming on in these leotards and that initially. Mm-hmm. I just thought she was ideally suited. It was just the right mix where I was concerned. And she got very emotional chatting with the Claire, Claire Rose who lost both her oh, parents. Oh, and the Claire Rose was, <laughs> we were all emotional. Yeah. I was crying for a few of them here. Yeah, yeah. You know, because they have had sad lives and it was. And she was genuinely, now Dahi did get emotional as well. Yeah. And, um, you know, and I like him on the evening programme. Now, some snippets of that you could live without. But I think of people that do nothing else a bad winter's evening. And you can sit and watch it. And there's always something you'll enjoy. I know. Yeah, that's it. That's you know, it. whether yeah, you it. like it or hate it. And the viewing, <laughs> the viewing figures for the Rose of Tralee are up. I think there was a, they, they're, they're up on last year. So obviously, from RTE's point of view, it was a success, success because obviously they counted on how many people uh, tune in uh, to watch it. And as somebody said earlier, and I'd have to agree, I wouldn't have liked to have been the judges this year. I mean, there was a lot of people who there were, were so well up many. there. Yeah. Oh, I mean, and they were so talented. The singers were outstanding. You know, everybody in it to me this year deserved fantastic praise. Okay. And I'm so sorry people feel so negative about her because she does try hard. She does her best. And to me, her best was fantastic well done. Night. Well done. And well done for, for coming on because I can now see a flurry of texts coming in. For example, Anne is on saying Catherine Thomas was brilliant last night. Herself and Dahi together were fantastic. Yeah. And somebody else says, I thought Catherine Thomas was wonderful yeah, uh, last I night. Yeah, I thought so. it was like marriage made in heaven. Okay. <laughs> I leave you on that note. <laughs> All right, Joan, thank you for that. Okay. And Sheila says, I loved Catherine Thomas in The Rose of Chile. She was brilliant. She was caring. She was compassionate and more. I was never her biggest fan, but I changed my mind about her after watching her for the last two nights. She and I were a wonderful pair of uh, presenters. That's from Sheila. So good to see that the negative views that we had earlier has been uh, turned around, which is uh, fantastic. Somebody else says, Patricia, people can just be so narrow-minded, especially when it comes to something like the Rose of Chile. Tell them get a life. The Rose of Chile was an outstanding programme for the last uh, two nights. That's from Geraldine from Bantry, who says uh, well done to everybody uh, who took part. And thank you to Bridget in Donnerill, who sent on the picture of her gorgeous tomatoes and then there was a picture of something else that she just picked from the garden that I was trying to work out what they were and they're figs whoa well done you're green fingered Bridget in Donnerell if anybody has a gardening question for Peter you can get those in because he's going to be joining us in a couple of minutes I just want to mention an email that came in overnight from Morris to say hi Patricia I was listening to yesterday's programme where you were expressing your shock that the weeping teenager who had been in the juvenile courts um, after was back in the courts again after mugging three days, uh, mugging a teenager three days later. Shocking to hear that these thugs are now threatening the Temple Bar business owners and staff if they let the Gardaí access their CCTV. We definitely need to address this soft approach of the state to dealing with these thugs who know everything about how to play the legal 
legal system, i.e. weeping in court and guess what, you can end up getting bail, says uh, Morris. And actually, I was, until I got your email, Morris, I was unaware about that threatening of the Temple Bar uh, businesses. So I, I, I looked into it because yesterday there was another teenage boy before the juvenile courts as part of that assault on the, the three uh, English tourists. Again, he can't be identified because he is underage. He was arrested yesterday. Um, he appeared before the courts, two charges of assault causing harm, one charge of uh, robbery. Uh, it's alleged in court that the accused had punched and kicked two of the victims and he had stolen a wallet and a necklace. And how did the Gardaí know this? Well, Garda Finnegan said CCTV footage was obtained from a number of business premises in the Temple Bar area. It was said to be of excellent quality and it showed the entirety of the incident. But in court yesterday, um, the Gardaí said that the owners of businesses in Temple Bar fear that they could be threatened for providing the CCTV footage to the uh, Gardaí. Now, the this other young teenager that was in court yesterday, his defence solicitor, when applying for bail, told the court that remanding his client in custody had to be a matter of last resort because he was a juvenile. But Garda Finnegan, quickly on his feet, objected to bail due to the seriousness of the offence. But the judge, uh, Patricia Cronin, described the charges as a very serious matter, but she did go on to grant the accused bail. Now, it is subject to stringent conditions, which she said will be monitored by the court. There's a curfew from nine at night until eight in the morning. He has to stay out of the Dublin 2 area. He has to sign on daily at a local guard station. He was also ordered not to be in contact with any of the alleged injured parties are, he's been told, not to be in contact with the owners or staff of any of the businesses in Temple Bar. And he also had to provide a mobile telephone number and he needs to be contactable at all uh, times. So, yeah, he's out on uh, bail uh, again. And then uh, a man in his late teens was also arrested yesterday morning and charged in connection with the uh, with the incident because I think was there three or four involved uh, in it. Uh, causing those three men to end up over here visiting for the weekend to play a game of football and they found themselves then ending up in hospital. C103. Turning our attention to gardening, Peter Dowdell, the IrishGardener.com joins me. Good afternoon to you, Peter. Good afternoon, Trish. How are you? I'm very well and you're very welcome to the programme. We've had a kind of a few days of sunshine. I know it's been a bit wet this morning, but there's more uh, sunshine out uh, this afternoon. So it's we're, we're still keeping our fingers crossed that summer isn't gone yet. We're, we're, dare I say it, we're grasping at crumbs now, we're straws at this stage, but we're taking the sunny spells will do us now. It's hour by hour, not even day by day. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, let's get straight into uh, questions. I'm going to kind of put two into in together. Maria in Temple Martin was on. She left her lawn go wild mm. for the year and because of that now she has an amount of ants and she's wondering how to get rid of them. But then somebody else was on about ants. Maura says, uh, Hi uh, Peter, are ants harmful in the garden? Lately, every time I move a pot I see an army of ants underneath. I wanted to transfer a sedum from a pot to the ground and when I took it out of the pot it was riddled with ants. I could see them carrying their eggs. There was lots of tunnels made. Also when digging I found them in the garden and I've actually lost some plants. Angel's fishing rod and I love that plant. uh, Mallow tree and now my fuchsia are not doing well. I would appreciate any advice. Do ants do damage in the garden? Not, not really. So I suppose dealing with the first question first, if you like, in the, the, let the area go wild. Now there's ants. That's just part really of the natural balance. So 
I don't think they're doing any damage. They shouldn't really be doing any damage to the garden, so therefore there, there isn't really a need to control them. I mean, it's 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 where they should be, I suppose. They're outside. I'd, I'd have a very different answer if they were coming inside my back door, but outside, no, I'm quite happy to, to leave them be. Uh, and the other thing, of course, is you can't control them. I mean, there's there's just too many of them. You, you won't win that battle anyway, but now should you try. Uh, they are part of the tapestry. They're part of the natural balance. They're doing their thing, which... You know, there might be you might get a fright, or it might be unsightly to see when you lift a plant out of the ground or move a pot, and there's literally millions of them moving with eggs and everything. But it's it's just part of the great outdoors. They're they're not. In answer to the question, I've the second question, I've never really seen them doing damage as such to plants. I've never really written anything off to ant damage. So no, I don't think so. The 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 mallow is a short-lived tree anyway, or a short-lived shrub anyway, unfortunately. It, it does tend to just last a few years. Now, the diorama, the angel's fishing rod, is a different question. It, it's, it's a bulbous plant. It's a really stunning plant, really beautiful in flower, but uh, I would say it's possibly, it's native to South Africa, so it's possibly more uh, tied in with the very wet summer than we've had than, than ant damage. I wouldn't think it's ants. And the, the last one is the fuchsia, which, again, I mean, it could be several reasons, but uh, I, I wouldn't write it down to ant damage. Okay. No, I would leave, I'd leave them well alone. I'd leave them to their own devices. They're, they're, they're doing their thing in the garden, which is, which is necessary. Okay, Mary has a citrus sunset rock rose. Uh, she describes it this year as it's got very leggy and she's wondering if she cuts it back hard, will it bud again? Oh, sorry, you, did you say citrus or cystus? Could oh, you call out the name sorry, again? Would I you say mind? It's, it, maybe it's cystus. Uh, with yeah. predictive text sunset kind of, pink. Yeah. yeah sunset rock rose yes yes I know it sorry yes so that's a cystus so the common name is a rock rose so the, the first I was going to answer it as if it was a rose but okay. I just didn't know the name of the variety so if it was a rose you could cut it back hard yes and it would come on fine um, but with the cystus they're a bit like the mallow that I just talked about in the last answer actually cystus can be short lived like hebes and like lavender they do tend to get woody and leggy and the best thing to do with them uh, is to keep them cup native to Mexico, I think, in South America, and certainly more more used to the, the the Mediterranean regions and poorer soil. What happens in Ireland is they're in the best of soil, nice warm temperatures, plenty of rain. We're probably feeding them. They kind of grow out of themselves, where they get all leaf and flower, and they they keep performing. But as a result, they do get leggy and woody. So the way to prevent it happening is to kind of trim them back a few times each year. Uh, to stop it happening. But if we're at the situation where it has happened and they've got leggy and woody, like she describes, no, I'm afraid they won't tolerate, not only will they not come back brilliantly, they won't tolerate being cut back hard at all. They'll just curl up their leaves and die on you, I'm afraid. So it's a question of either live with it the way it is and give it a very gentle trim or else be brutal and, and replace it. Mm. Okay, um, Breda in Yall is looking for advice on orchids. Uh, the flowers are now gone, still full of green uh, leaves, but she's wondering what does she do? Does she cut back the stem now? And do you, does she continue feeding them? And with what would you suggest feeding them with orchids? If, if you look at the stem or stems of the orchid where the flowers were, so the flowers will have died off now and gone brown. But if you follow it with your fingers, follow that stem backwards towards the soil, you will find little nodes. Now, they're quite different to what you'd see on on, on normal, well, our usual outdoor plants. But little nodes, it's like, the best way to describe it, it's like a little band-aid around the stem. It's like a little swelling around the stem on, on the of the flower of the orchid. So just cut it back to the node. So leave the node on the stem. So the top of the node is the bottom of where you cut if you know what I mean. You're leaving the node on the stem. And what that will do is that will promote that stem to put to, to, to send forward another 
flowering shoot relatively quickly within a, within a, a couple of months I'd say you'll have more flowers so if you've more than one stem do the same with all the stems just cut back to the node leave the node on the plant uh, and you'll have more flowers pretty soon I would recommend probably feeding the orchids yeah any good liquid orchid feed will do it uh, depending on which one you, you, you have or which one you get it might be once every two weeks or once every three weeks um, but do because that will help to promote more flowers as well uh, hi, uh, Peter. My roses are covered in black spot. Is it too late to spray or feed them now? You're against spraying, aren't you? Well, I am. And uh, you see, even if I wasn't, it's because of you look out at the weather. I, I did write on this a couple of weeks ago on the, for the examiner because we've had so many, so much rainfall this summer in July and August and this, this huge increase in the amount of fungal infections in the garden. As is to be expected, it's very, very damp and it's quite warm. Um and black spot is one of those fungal infections. So the reason I'm hesitating is because it's easier to prevent fungal infections like black spot in the first instance than it is to control it once you get it. And the way you could, the way you try and prevent it is with good pruning, let's say back in, in, in February, uh, to prune it back quite hard to a few outward facing branches so the plant doesn't become too congested. So there's good air circulation through the plant and then keep it well fed so it's nice and healthy. However, even with the best will in the world this year, you could have done all of that. And with the amount of rainfall we've had, you're still going to be fall victim to it. So the long-winded answer to, that I would give to it is no, not to spray it necessarily, but just to prune it now, cut it back hard, removing all the, the infected growth, even if that's a very hard pruning at this time of the year. It wouldn't be the normal advice for a rose. But in this instance, it's what I would do is cut back all the infected growth um, give it a good rose food. You could try giving it a drench with, with copper sulfate, a solution of copper sulfate mixed with water. Um, but that's not something you'd use willy-nilly. It's not something you'd use every week. It's kind of once a year. So if you have used it already this year, I'd say leave it now till next year and hope that the pruning back and the feeding will, will drive on some new growth in the rose. And then hopefully... Uh, we might get a couple of fine weeks during from now till the end of September, which yeah. might give you a few more flowers. And I was I was reading a long range weather forecast, and they're expecting a couple of good weeks in September. And we often do get good September's, and we talk about the Indian summer and all of that. So we're keeping our fingers crossed for that. Bring it on! Bring <laughs> it on! Sooner the better. <laughs> okay, I have a Bux's Semperverans in a pot that got waterlogged last winter and turned brown. Now. There are some green leaves returning at the base. Can it be saved or has it gone too far? It can be saved as a plant, but you you know it. It's a box ball is the, the kind of the way we would describe them, Trish, which you know, I'm sure, that the, the dark green are, you know, just pruned to a perfect ball, a oh, boxwood. Yeah, yeah, yeah. um, so you know yourself, what I mean is, yes, it, it, the fact that there is green shoots at the bottom means that the plant is still alive, but all the stuff that went brown and is still brown is dead wood, so that needs to be removed. So you'll be a long time waiting for those green shoots to to fill up again to become a nice ball. But if you have patience and you're happy to persevere with it, then yes, it will come good. But the the, the brown growth that's there, it's not magically going to cover itself perfectly in green again. So the brown growth that is there is now dead. So prune all that off, leave the green shoots, and then just train and prune it over the next few years. Okay, Mary wants to know, when is the right time to plant garlic bulbs? Her plan is she wants them for use next summer when spraying roses with garlic spray. She wants to plant her own. Very good, very good. Well, the, the, the right time to do it is kind of, I suppose, from you could do them early, kind of before Christmas, November, December. If you have a polytunnel or an indoor area, you could even do it a bit earlier, like October, and you'd have them earlier than next year. 
you'd normally you'd normally start your your garlic bulb same kind of time as as your onion sets, which would be kind of late autumn, early winter, uh, or else right up to January, February. But if you if you're sowing them in January, February, of course you won't be harvesting them until August or September, which will be too late for what she wants. So I would say do it sooner rather than later. Um, ideally indoors, as I say, if you do have a tunnel or something like that, start them in in uh, even September under under cover. If not, I'd say October, November outside. And um, then you should be harvesting them that bit earlier next year. Okay, Eileen has a potted peony rose. She's had it now for about seven years. It's in a large enough pot, but it's never flowered. I, I she's had it for several years. I would say seven. perhaps it's not in a large enough pot. You ah. might think it's a large enough pot, but it just may not have enough nutrients in the pot to flower. So I would say if you want, if you have to keep it in that pot and you can't put it into a bigger pot or the open ground, I would say just feed it uh, quite a lot at the start of the year from kind of as soon as you see the first shoots breaking ground on that peony, which would probably be February, March, uh, start feeding it with a, something like a good quality tomato food uh, to try and promote more flowers. Um, but if possible, I would plant it out into the open ground and let it get its own nutrients. Uh, I would say that's the problem. It's just not getting enough in the pot that it's in. Maura wants to get rid of Himalayan balsam. She is taking over an area near her. Mm. <laughs> I don't have an answer for that one, I'm afraid. It's a, it's one of these invasives. You learn to love it if you like. It's a very attractive one. I saw it actually, I won't say where, but I was up in a, a public garden yesterday run by the OPW and I saw it poking its head up and it's just, and it, it's also quite, quite, uh, quite, uh, what's the word, vigorous down in Inishannon behind the, the, that lovely walk in Inishannon behind the playground and the pitches there. Uh, you do see quite a lot, quite a lot of it on the riverbank there. Now, it's, it's an attractive plant. It's an attractive flower, but it is very, very vigorous and it is invasive. I'm afraid I don't have a magic wand for you. It's a very difficult one to eradicate. I think you're going to have to just try and control it, dig it out where you see it, where possible. Uh, you could try smothering it if it's in a particular area, which will which will kind of end up moving it. So in other words, if you cover it with, a, let's say, a layer of biodegradable fabric and then cover that with soil or bark, um, well, it can, if you provided you put more than six or eight inches on top of it and it can't get through, well, then it's it moves left or right. So it moves. Oh, you can move it, if you know what I mean. Um, you won't. You won't, I don't think you're going to be able to eradicate it. They they do recommend. Um, uh, some of the companies will recommend using glyphosate and chemicals, and that's that's you a personal won't. call up to you. I won't yeah. recommend it, but um, particularly if it's near a waterway, I wouldn't use any chemical at all near it. It's it's really a question of cultural control, which is just trying to uh, control it and and as I say, smother it, which will just end up moving it. If you know what I yeah, mean. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and this is something that I often wonder as well. Margaret and Donimore wants to know: Is it okay to put fungal infected leaves in the compost bin? Should you be very careful what you put in the compost bin? If it's your own domestic compost bin, I would say yes, you should be a bit careful because it doesn't really get hot enough to um, to 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 kill the fungal spores. Now, on saying this, what I'm talking about here is the textbook advice, Trish. I, I'm I'm rarely that diligent myself when my own composting. I kind of tend to throw them into it, but the correct answer is no, not. To. However, if you have a brown bin from the council or not from from the council from one of your your bin, bin collectors, providers, yeah, the 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 compost bin that will you can certainly put them into that because that does go into a commercial composting facility which does absolutely get hot enough to to eradicate any pathogens so if it's your own compost bin i would err on the side of caution and say no if it's if it's a brown bin i'd say absolutely you're fine okay all right we leave it there um are you busy this week 
busy now because we're coming into bulb season soon so we've uh, we've a lot of pre-orders for but anyone in fact anybody who's listening if you have pre-ordered bulbs from us at the irishgardener.com obviously there's still plenty of time to do so if you want but uh, uh speaking to the growers just today actually and things are going to be a bit late so it will be realistically end of September, October before I would recommend you start planting bulbs. I know I saw them myself available in supermarkets and uh, and some of the, the the bigger garden centres even a couple of weeks ago, still in August. It's crazy. Don't dream of planting your bulbs now because it's far too early. Just because, just because the supermarkets want to sell them, nature hasn't changed. It's still September, October, November when we need to, to plant them. So just a, a note of caution to people. Don't, don't be tempted to plant them early. OK. All right. We'll talk to you next week, uh, Peter. Thank you for that. Thanks, Trish. Thanks Bye-bye. for joining us. That's Peter Dowd of the IrishGardener.com. Uh, uh, still getting in calls defending Catherine Thomas. Somebody says, uh, give Catherine Thomas the rose uh, gig. Or, sorry, this is not defending her. Giving it is just another unnecessary overpaid job by RTE. And someone wants to know, is it only women that are giving out about Catherine Thomas? I thought she was great. That signed a Mitchestown man, almost 70. And by the way, I do have a Revolut account. <laughs> well done. OK, that's where uh, we wrap it up uh, uh, for today. Uh, our apologies that we didn't get to all of your gardening questions. We will do our best to make a note of them and we'll put them to uh, Peter next uh, week. Thanks to John Paul McNamara for producing. Nick Richards is with you for the afternoon and we will be back with you tomorrow morning at 10 o'clock and tomorrow being Thursday we will have Jane answering all of your pet questions. Talk to you tomorrow at 10. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.